Welcome, everyone, to Unexpected Points. I come to you early on Tuesday morning following what could have been a pretty good night of football. I mean, maybe it was a good night of football for Bills and Eagles fans who didn't want to sweat out a victory. Um, Not a great night of football for the rest of us, though. From a competitive standpoint, a couple of blowouts here, but I do think there are lots of takeaways, lots of ways to reframe, put in perspective, not only what happened in these games, but what it means for these four teams going forward. A lot of ideas right now about the Bills, how good they are. I think they are who we thought they were, I guess you could say, for this first game. But we also got to couch that a little bit. Got to look at the Eagles a little bit, who they're going to be going forward. Vikings were exposed a bit in this game, but I was not shocked by that. In fact, I was on the the PFF uh, It's Just Football daily show that comes on at 11 a.m. on YouTube uh, yesterday, and I you know, recommended – for entertainment purposes only, the Eagles uh, minus two and a half as my my favorite bet of any of these games when it came to side or total. And because of that fact that I thought that they could get exposed here, the Vikings could get exposed after that first week. And I think there's a lot of things to discuss with the Titans. So we'll get into all of that and more. Uh, the foundation, of course, of what I'm doing here is looking at expected points added per play chopping it up different ways, what's attributable to the quarterback, what's attributable to the defense, trying to make adjustments on what happened in the game by the amount of variance, the amount of quote-unquote luck, you could say, in particular types of plays, whether they're sustainable going forward, and then getting an idea of how the teams actually played here. Start with the Bills and the Tennessee Titans. And I think it's important to frame this looking at the Bills over the course of the season because they are basically head and shoulders and then probably chest and torso above the entire rest of the NFL when it comes to point differential. I don't have them being quite so high. I do have them being number one by my adjusted score. So my adjusted score differential, adjusted points differential, whatever you want to call it, um, as everyone else, but it's a little bit closer. And this game, it was a little bit closer than the final score. I'll explain why. Uh, But of course, a little bit closer to the final score is still a blowout. So the final score ended up being 41-7. to The Bills were 10-point favorites going into this game. Yes, we have the number one seed Tennessee Titans in the AFC from last year, already in week two of this season, being a 10-point dog on the road, and it was justified. Uh, My final adjusted score here, not 41-7, to 30 to nine. So more narrow. Only a 20, I'll say only, again, only 21 point differential. Still talking about three scores here, but more narrow than what we saw there. So why why is that the case? Well, the, the key here is I look at success rates a little bit more than the actual EPA per play. And that means some outlier type of big plays aren't going to get as much weight when I'm looking at it as it is in the score. So the biggest play here that's not going to get as much weight as the final score um, is the pick six. And the pick six is, you know, it's a great play by Matt Milano. 
Um, but it's a negative eight, nine EPA type of play there, which is massive, just a massive play. So, you know, we give credit for that, but we don't give too much credit. We downweight that one a little bit there. Um, that's the main thing there. There are a couple of other things. Josh Allen had a turnover worthy throw, a dropped interception in the end zone, right? The first play after the two minute warning in the first half. And then they went on to score a touchdown on fourth and one. Um, a few plays later. So that's another one where it you know, dings the bills a little bit more than, than what you might think there. And they also had some other big plays and big conversions on fourth down, although they, they failed on one fourth down conversion that knocks them down a little bit. Um, you know, the bills offense is the story line coming out of this Josh Allen MVP favorite going into the season, going to be, vastly the MVP favorite coming out of this because not only does it look like he's going to be playing, he's going to be that guy, right? He is going to be, he's, he's him as everyone. Everyone has to say that now about every single player. Currently number one in our grading subject to review. The grades are subject to review. I should, I should mention that the grades being subject to review when I'm doing these morning shows, because yesterday when I talked about, Russell Wilson having a 90 grade after review, it went down like 30 points because we took away some of the big time throws. I, I'm not, you know, I don't know how the sausage is being made there. You don't want to know how the sausage is being made on these grades, but just remember for these morning shows, it is subject to review, but Josh Allen, number one grade this season, number one efficiency in EPA per play. He will be number one on my quarterback. Spoiler alert. Number one on my quarterback rankings uh, that'll come out tomorrow for how guys have played so far this season. So no one else is really close to him. I would say the other people in the MVP conversation are, I mean, Mahomes is always in the conversation, but he didn't look fantastic on Thursday night. Jalen Hurts, who I'll talk about, I think he's in the conversation. I heard his, his odds are now eight to one. Probably a little too uh, short for me. I'd like a little bit longer odds if I was actually going to bet on him, but he's in the conversation now. Um, Lamar Jackson, even though they lost, if they would have got that win, he really would have been in the conversation. He's up in that area. I mean, you know, Tua, Tua had some big stats. I would think it would be weird to put him in the conversation, but some people are probably going to think that he's in that area. But those are really the guys, I think, right now that are in that conversation. Herbert, maybe he can get into there. He hasn't been as impressive, but, you know, they're 2-0. So Herbert could probably easily jump back into that conversation. But as of right now, Josh Allen is the man in that area, and that's what everyone's going to be talking about him. It's Stephon Diggs because Diggs had, you know, 120 some yards. Uh, three touchdowns. That's what everyone's going to be talking about. But I think the bigger story, at least the underplayed story, I won't say it's a, the bigger story because offense is more, we're an offensive minded podcast here. Offense is more stable. Offense is more important going forward. But I think the more underplayed story here is the Bills defense because they're first in total EPA against, uh, second in in holding down the rushing success rate of the opponent, second in drop back success rate. Uh, but overall, they're first because no one else has that, that sort of a high-end combination. So both sides, they're stopping the run and they are stopping the pass. They had Vaughn Miller come in. They're getting a ton of pressure without having to blitz that much. I'll talk about that in this particular game. It was insane how much pressure Ryan Tannehill was under in this particular game without blitzing, without blitzing much at all here. So I think this is really the play. And it's also sometimes defensive efficiency can be, 
deceptive because it is more of a function of who you're playing than the defense. The defense, if you're playing against Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or someone like that, like your ability, even if you're the best pass defense in the league, to make them look like the worst pass offense in the league that particular week is going to be really, really tough. It's going to be tougher. More often, a Josh Allen will make a really, really great pass defense look like the worst pass defense from an efficiency standpoint, from a number standpoint. So the Bills defense is also really impressive to me because they played against the Rams and they played against the Titans. I mean, the Titans are not the rushing. We don't know about because the Rams were bad rushing last year. The Titans have been really, really bad. Worst efficiency team in the entire NFL. Tennessee Titans, Derrick Henry, worst efficiency running team in the entire NFL so far through two weeks. But from a passing standpoint, I mean, Ryan Tannehill was really, really good week one passing. He's been very efficient. He's been a high graded guy for multiple years now in this, in this offense, Matthew Stafford, number one quarterback last season in expected points added per drop back. Those are the two offenses that they've faced. So it's not like they've had a fraudulent schedule so far um, to bring them up to that point. That is really like the case. I feel like for the bills being the dominant team in the NFL is that defense, because we were expecting, you know, Josh Allen, maybe not to be this good, but we were expecting him to be an elite quarterback. We're expecting Stefan Diggs to be an elite wide receiver. We were expecting the Bills defense to be good, but there's more uncertainty there. And we're getting more and more evidence on a weekly basis that they really are that good, if not the best group in the NFL. Now, if you want to nitpick the Bills offense, uh, they still can't run the ball that well. 25th in success rate, 30th in EPA per play. Um, of course they're first in dropback success rate and in, and in EPA per dropback. So that's pretty good. We won't get too much into that. Um, also if you want to nitpick the offense a little bit and this faded as the course of the game went over, but in week one, they were nine of 10 converting on third down. Uh, they started off this game with three straight conversions before they failed on a uh, third down and then failed on fourth down one time but they're still way ahead of the curve when it comes to outperformance on third down. So, you know, again, we're not, I'm nitpicking here. I am totally nitpicking here, but some degree, a larger degree of the bills offensive success has been outperformance on those few high leverage, those fewer high leverage downs. Will that continue going forward? I think they'll continue to outperform, but maybe not quite at this level. So that's something, again, if you want to nitpick, we can nitpick a little bit for the bills, but I think the defense being so good is is such a huge like feather in their cap going forward for being the best team in the NFL that we don't really need to look at it in any other way. All right, uh, kind of went over the good and the bad and the very slight nitpicky bad for the Bills. Let's talk about the Titans. Uh, 0-2, you know, not that bad to lose to the Bills on the road on a game that you were not supposed to win, although it was embarrassing fashion. But the fact that they lost that week one game is really going to come back to haunt them other than the fact other than the fact that you know everyone in the AFC South stinks. So they got that going for them. Um first to talk about Tannehill. Uh he had negative EPA per play. He had a poor grade in this one. His grade was let me sorry, let me pull that up. I had that in front of me. Um his grading was 42.8 one of the worst grades of the week. Yeah, he lost half a point EPA per play. But in this game, the reason I'm cutting him some slack in this is, number one, couldn't run the ball. 
could not run the ball at all. Multiple times they ran on first and second down and Derek with Derek Henry back to back. And they ended up gaining zero, one or two yards. So you're put in a third and eight, third and nine, third and 10 situation after handing off the ball to Derek Henry a couple of times. Uh, not good. So that's, that's one part of it, putting them in bad situations there. The other part of it is with this Bill's front, the way we saw them harassing and pressuring Matthew Stafford in week one, that continued again this week. They only blitzed 10% of the time. Remember, they like never blitzed in week one. Only blitzed 10% of the time. They had a 56% pressure rate. And if you look at the fast pressure rate, these are the ones I really like to concentrate on. These are pressures that come in less than 2.5 seconds. 2.5 is about the median number for when a pressure comes. So coming really, really fast. Uh, Ryan Tannehill was getting a fast pressure on 50% of his dropbacks. Half of the time Ryan Tannehill was dropping back to pass, he was getting pressured in 2.5 or less seconds time. I don't know how you operate like that. I don't know how you operate behind the down and distance because you can't run the ball. You're not being successful there. And how you operate when the defense doesn't need to blitz and they're getting to you extremely fast half of the time there. It was a really tough game for Tannehill in this one. And, you know, they bring in Malik Willis later in this game. I'll talk a little bit more about Willis later. I don't think that's the solution. I don't really think this was on Tannehill in this one, despite the fact that we saw, you know, some ugly interceptions, including the pick six uh, for Tannehill. Like I was talking more about Derrick Henry here. 13 carries, 25 yards. This 25 yards is the fewest yards for Henry um, since four years ago. So we're going all the way back to 2018, the last time that Derrick Henry had fewer yards than this, um, week six of 2018. And... If we're going to look for positives here for the Titans, again, there's a lot of negatives going on here. I thought their defense actually played okay. Uh, again, from a success rate standpoint, they were better than maybe the numbers look after the game, uh, but they just couldn't stop Allen when he needed to be playing. So I still think the defense is okay. So maybe that's a little bit of a positive there for the Titans. Um, another little bit of a positive is Traylon Burks did something in this game. Good for people who may have picked him up in fantasy football this year. He ran 17 of 28 routes, so he didn't run a ton of routes, but no one had more than 20 routes run. They were mixing and matching in the receiver core there. Uh, Six targets, four catches, 47 yards for Burks, and three first downs on those four catches. He was the only receiver who had positive expected points added when targeted for anyone amongst that group. Uh, Okay, let's talk Malik Willis. Is it Malik Willis time? I'm surprised, borderline shocked that so many people believe that it could be Malik Willis time. Even coming out of the preseason, Willis was like really, really bad the first couple of weeks of the preseason. Now he displayed the athleticism. I think that's what people are getting excited about was the athleticism that he displayed with some of the long runs. And That, to me, well, I think it's valuable. I agree that it's valuable. It wasn't a surprise for me. It wasn't like, oh, Malik Willis is surprising here. I mean, I knew and I stated that going into, you know, he's he's already top five athletic quarterback in the NFL, Malik Willis. I knew that was going to translate, and it it has, and I think it really, really has. But 
he looked completely lost passing the ball, you know, not able to complete 50% of his passes, holding the ball for more than four seconds. Those first couple of games scrambling or taking a sack on, you know, 40% of his dropbacks. He was a little bit better in the third week of the preseason. You know, he was executing things a little bit better, but even in this this game, and this is extremely small, mind you, extremely small sample size, six dropbacks. We're talking about from Malik Willis in this game. Uh, He threw four passes. The first one was a dropped interception, which I don't think it would have been a pick six, but it was like right to a linebacker in the middle of the field, like right in front of him. Right. Um, So the first pass he had was a dropped interception. And then he had one completion and he had two other incompletions, two scrambles. One of them, he picked up a first down, which is great, but still, you know, in six dropbacks, he's still a scramble twice in those six dropbacks and had a turnover worthy play in those six dropbacks. So I don't think is the answer unless we get to the point in this season where it's over, like the Titans can't qualify for the playoffs. And again, I just don't think that's going to happen for a long time because unless the, I don't know, the Jaguars run away with, with the division who are one and one at this point, you know, leading the division now um, at one and one, Unless unless someone runs away with the division, they're going to have a chance of being in this division for a very, very long time. So I don't think we're going to see Malik Willis unless they, they kind of just push it forward on him. I mean, I'd just be shocked, especially with Vrabel. I just don't see him as being the type of guy that says, let's bench our quarterback who's has a 30 something million dollar cap hit this year, who's playing played really well week one and didn't really have a chance, I don't think, in this particular game. So I don't think we'll see Malik Willis anytime soon, but you're going to hear some of that buzz. Maybe it's driven by like fantasy football dudes who want to see him go out there and run for 150 yards a game. And, uh, and you know, you can do that and you can win fantasy football weeks even when you're not playing well as a quarterback. I don't think he's quite ready. We'll see if the Titans agree or disagree going forward, but I don't think it's total um, meltdown type of time here for the Titans. Not quite yet. Uh, I still think that, again, the defense was okay. They should have won week one. Um, They have to fix up the running game a little bit. But this next game, where they're going to be at home against the Raiders, it's not a completely make-or-breaking the season, but 0-3 there is going to be really, really tough. But they, you know, facing the Raiders, who I don't think are that great at home, um, they have that game. They're going to go and face the Colts, who have shown to be extremely vulnerable. Then they go Commanders, winnable game, bye week. And then after that, Colts, Texans. That's a good stretch. That's a good stretch for them. They should be able to come out there maybe being 500 after all of that. They got a little bit of tougher stretch the rest of the season. But um, this is really going to be it. I think starting with the W this weekend is almost a necessity. And they can do it at home against the Raiders. I'm not you know, fully confident because I don't think the Raiders are a bad team. But I don't think the Raiders are an elite team. Obviously, nowhere close to the Bills team that they had to play uh, this week. All right, before we get to the second game of the doubleheader, let's talk DraftKings. NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Right now, for every leg you add to that parlay, you can boost your winnings up to 100% with big 
With payouts bigger than ever, why bet on football anywhere else? To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game that's code PFF, only a DraftKings Sportsbook, and an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, Philadelphia Eagles, Minnesota Vikings. Again, Philly was was minus two and a half, two and a half point favorite going into this. Your boy, uh, actually, I see three here. Is it close? Did it close at three? Well, it was two and a half when I talked about it yesterday. Three is much more appropriate. Uh, and they end up winning 24 to, to seven. Unlike the Bills Titans game, this one was actually wider, according to my adjusted score 31 to 11. Why is that the case that it's wider there? Well, the success rate was even better for this Eagles offense than it was for the Bills offense, uh, 85th percentile success rate. But again, if we're going to, we're going to lower the effect of some of these outlier bigger plays. The two biggest plays in the game when it comes to expected points added, gained, or lost were Jake Elliott blocked field goal and then return after that blocked field goal. That was a negative six expected points. And then Jalen Hurts interception, which we did not grade as a turnover-worthy play, there's a lot of traffic. He did throw into a lot of mess when it came to the screen pass that he threw to Kenny Gainwell that went off of Gainwell's hands and then was intercepted. So he got it there. It was a little messy, but we did not grade it as a turnover-worthy play. That was uh, negative five expected points added. So those two plays, again, a, a, a kind of a fluky drop interception and a blocked kick return, those two plays were 11 and a half points. Something like that, that the Eagles lost in those two those two plays. So that explains probably most of it, on top of the fact that the Eagles were just so consistently good at what they were doing. Um, the Vikings, one of the reasons I'm not freaking out too much about what happened here is they did also have a, they had an okay success rate. 50% success rate is just their expected points added were really, really low because they had so many turnovers. Three interceptions for Cousins. We saw that Darius Slay was having a day. But on top of that, and this is what hurts their numbers a little bit. So Cousins had three interceptions, two dropped interceptions that were like really catchable, not difficult. Two dropped interceptions and a strip sack. He was sacked and was stripped and the um, offensive lineman, I'm not sure which offensive lineman, recovered it. So it could have been even worse. In some ways, there could have been, you know, another three turnovers on top of what they already had there in that in that game. Uh, I'm not giving Cousins the same sort of. You know, I'm not cutting him the same sort of slack that I'm cutting Tannehill and what he had to deal with as far as pressure is concerned. But there was a lot of interior pressure. In this game, the interior offensive line for the Vikings gave up 11 of the 16 pressures. Uh, Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave had four pressures each. They were, that's tough for cousins to deal with. And it's, it's a limitation of his. So I'm not giving him, again, I'm not cutting him slack on this. It's a limitation that he has with the inability to really be that mobile. And if he has to drop back and pass and not 
move around, not roll out. If you get interior pressure on him, you're going to see these interceptions. If he can't step up and step into these throws, and that's what we saw here. Um, one thing that may have changed when it came to the Vikings, they were passing above expectation last week. Now with Kevin O'Connell there in this game, maybe they really needed to, but you could claim that they abandoned the run, the quote unquote abandoned the run because 84% of the time they dropped back to pass in this game, which was 10% over expectation. That expectation accounts for the fact that they were, you know, they were getting beat down. Um, so we would have expected about a 75% dropback rate, which is pretty high. They were up at 84%. So there is more willingness. And I think the right willingness just to say, ah, what the hell? We'll continue to drop back the pass because this is our way to potentially get back in this game. It's the only way we have a chance in a game that looks like our win probability is extremely low. Um, you know, it's already the, the Eagles very early in this game after a few scores were in the 95th, 96th, 97th percentile. So why not just continue to drop back to, to pass and just see if you can get lucky on that? I mean, they abandoned the run so much in this game. This is an interesting stat. Kirk Cousins had more rushing yards than Dalvin Cook. Probably not the way to success here. 20 rushing yards for Cousins, 17 for Dalvin Cook. So last night, we had 25 yards for Derrick Henry and 17 yards for Dalvin Cook. Yikes. Uh, not, would not have expected that from those, from those two guys there. Uh, let's flip over. Uh, Justin Jefferson. Maybe I'll talk about that a little bit, a little miscommunication slash multiple interceptions when targeting Jefferson. Um, it's fine. I, I'm not worried. Those guys will be fine going forward. Like, I think this is a fine team. I think this is a good team. It's just they they ran into a buzzsaw and they couldn't stop the interior pressure. And then it just snowballed on them after that. Uh, and they also had a miscommunication on the Quez Watkins touchdown. So, you know. It, it's fine. I, I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be worried about the Vikings. They're just really, really glad they got that win week one against the Packers. We were just overhyping them a little bit after that win. All right, let's flip over to the good, the good stuff here. The Eagles stuff, 89.8 passing grade for Jalen Hurts, the best number of the week. Subject to review. I'll mention that again, subject to review. So that, that could fall or rise. Uh, 333 passing yards, a touchdown, an interception. Although I told you that interception we did not grade as a turnover worthy throw because it went off of Gainwell's hands two big time throws which boosts up his grade there no turnover worthy plays two big time throws really helps a lot uh also 11 carries for 57 yards and two touchdowns including the touchdown where he just bullied his way into the end zone Hertz is not I would say a top five athletic quarterback in the NFL and people might say that's weird to say um Maybe I should think about that a little bit more before I say that. Uh, okay, top five athletic quarterbacks in the NFL. Let, let, let's let's figure it out in no particular order. Um, Kyler Murray, um, Lamar Jackson. Uh, who else can we throw in there? Josh Allen. I guess I throw Josh Allen as being in that category. Uh, actually, maybe Jalen Hurts is like four or five. Again, Malik Willis I think is more athletic than than Jalen Hurts. So maybe he would, maybe he would like scrape into the top five, but I don't put him as being the super elite type of athlete, those other guys, but what he is really good at is he's big. He's kind of built more like a running back in some ways. I mean, if you watch the tape, I'm sorry, like a film guy here, but if you watch the tape when he was playing with Oklahoma, I mean, they were running him a lot. He was going at it. I mean, he was going into defensive linemen and linebackers like a running back quite often and just, you know, brushing it off and continuing on. And you can see his ability to do that here. But I also think he, he's fairly smart. He's fairly smart about avoiding hits. I talked about Trey Lance didn't look like he was very smart about avoiding hits 
um, initially. Um, Justin Fields. I might say Justin Fields is probably more athletic than um, than uh, Jalen Hurts in a different way. But um, but you know Jalen Hurts is pretty smart. I feel like about doing that. Sure, he can get hurt like anyone can get hurt. But I think he's pretty smart about doing that. What's weird about Jalen Hurts is he's not your like traditional execution going through the reads type of passer. It's weird to me that a lot of the quarterback film guys, I mean, I'll just use my friend uh, Steve Ruiz over at the ringer. If you look at his quarterback rankings, he had Hertz going into this week as 21st behind Geno Smith. Um, it is I have to point that out um, in his quarterback rankings. And a lot of those guys don't like him because they just don't see him executing properly. You know, the reads, the particular way of flowing through, but, we have to stop worrying about that stuff too much when we see what he can do when he can run, when we see how well he can place the ball down the field when he needs to. Like, he can do what he needs to do plenty well enough to be a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, even if he isn't doing things according to the book in some sort of way, even if he isn't a, a robot, a uh, going through your reads and executing robot like Justin Herbert. He can do things pretty well his own way. Um, receivers here, which I thought was really interesting how they spread the ball out so much in this game. There's four receivers in this game who had at least a very nice 69 yards or more, uh, Devonte Smith, Dallas Goddard, and AJ Brown, of course, will be the triumvirate. And that's a really strong one, two, three. Devonte Smith got lost a little bit because he had a bagel in week one, but he actually led the receiving core here, seven catches for 80 yards. And then, so yeah, with Goddard and with A.J. Brown there, that's a really strong one, two, three. And you have Quez Watkins who comes in, blown coverage, mind you, but still getting that long touchdown can kind of be that situational deep threat type of guy that they can bring in there. Really, really strong for them. Um, And this offense for the Eagles, unlike the Bills offense, which was number one in drop back passing, but then struggling running the ball, uh, Eagles offense is looking very, very complete. Number one overall in efficiency because of the completeness that they have here uh, third in efficiency, running the ball fourth in efficiency, dropping back to pass. And this is really Jalen hurts stepping forward slash AJ Brown, and then continuing to build that passing offense because last year they were third in efficiency, running the ball too. So that is maintained. They maintain that, but they were 13th dropping back to pass. Now that's moved up to fourth, at least so far this year with Jalen Hurts in there, that's really, really positive news for them going forward for this team where the defense looked like it struggled week one, but I think that Detroit Lions offense is a lot better than than people think. It's going to be a very, very solid team. Um, I still think, though, the Eagles need to prove the offensive stuff. Jalen Hurts needs to prove the dropback stuff against a little bit better defense. I am uh, ambivalent about this Vikings defense at best, as far as what they can do there. Again, we had the coverage bust on the, on the Watkins touchdown, the Detroit lions defense just stinks probably. So we still need to see it from Hertz going forward. But the, the positive news here though, for the Eagles is just how in control they should be very early in this season of the division. Uh, I know the Cowboys got lucky and, you know, pulled out the victory in week two. The, the commanders are, are one and one, the giants are two and are two and open. I, I do not expect the giants to hang around at all. Uh, I think the commanders and Wentz are who we thought they were, you know, 500 ish sort of team. And that's what we're going to see from them. I think Dallas without 
Dak Prescott for a while. And even with Dak Prescott back as like a defense driven team and 500 ish would not be surprised for the fact that they're going to lose uh, Prescott for a while. So because of that, the Eagles could really just take control of this division pretty early. I mean, they're going to play the commanders next week. Should win that. It's on the road, but who, you never know. But so you have the commanders, Jaguars. You have a couple of pretty easy games going up next. Cardinals, Cowboys. We'll see if Dak Prescott is back for that. I don't think he will be, but, you know, uh, Dr. Extraordinaire Jerry Jones seems to think he's going to be back already for a game like that. Then you play the Steelers. Offense stinks. No JJ Watt. No TJ Watt for that one. Texans, Commanders again, Colts. I mean, you got you got lots of games you can win here. Lots of winnable games here. Eagles could compete for best record in the conference. That's my bold claim here. Is that when you're looking at the high end of this conference, like what do you have here? You would have thought that you had the Bucks and the Packers would have been right there near the top. You would have thought you had the Rams who look, you know, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with the Rams. I mean, they obviously had their victory in an easy game last week, but didn't look so hot in week one. Those would have been really the teams that you could have pointed to 49ers. 49ers are back in contention now, but again, they had that bad loss week one in Chicago. So those would have been the teams, right? All those teams look very vulnerable. Um, So I think the Eagles would be the other team that I would throw in the mix. I think they're right now have just as good of a shot, especially going into the season. You know, they had the uh, 32nd ranked difficulty of schedule. So easy, easy schedule going forward. They're right there in the mix for potentially getting a number one seed, which is phenomenally big in this new playoff format, which only one team does that. And just to get out of the conference and to get to the Super Bowl, I thought a lot of the Eagles Super Bowl predictions were uh borderline you know just hot takey sort of insane stuff to start the season but now that i've seen the vulnerabilities in those other teams plus the confirmation of who the eagles can be we're talking about a team that can legitimately compete uh, but the first test comes you got to win games like on sunday when you're playing against carson Wentz and the commanders they got to win those games um and if they can do things like that i'm very excited about what they will be this season all right everybody Thank you so much for tuning into the Tuesday show. I'll be back later this week on Friday to review the Thursday night game, talk a little bit about what's going to happen this weekend. I'm also going to be appearing, I think it's tomorrow. I'll see if it's tomorrow or or Thursday on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast with Ian Harditz. I'm going to take on a little bit bigger role there. Uh, if you're into the fantasy football stuff, and I think it's just if you're into the NFL generally, we're going to go through uh, every team just to point out what we think about mostly, obviously the offenses, but defenses for game script purposes of what we've seen these last couple of weeks, these first couple of weeks of the season and what we end up seeing going forward. So it should be a good discussion. I love talking to Ian. He's a good dude. I like bouncing ideas off of him. Also, if you enjoy what you're seeing here, you know, leave a comment, leave a thumbs up in the YouTube, uh, go to Apple podcasts, leave a review, all that stuff. I thank you so much for tuning in and I'll be talking at everyone on Friday. Thanks so much.